Welcome to Prairie Dock On Call, made possible by the generous support of Larson Manufacturing and many other corporations and individuals. Their gifts to the Healing Words Foundation, a 501c3, provide 100% of the funding for all Prairie Dock programs. Please follow the Prairie Dock on Facebook and YouTube, and go to prairiedock.org for more information on making a charitable gift. The top 100 ranked medical school's acceptance rate is just over 6%. What does it take to get into these competitive programs and then graduate? The journey to become a doctor tonight on call with the Prairie Doc. Health information based on science built on trust. Greetings. I'm Dennis Edge, Provost and Vice President for Academic Affairs at South Dakota State University. It is my honor to serve as guest host for On Call with the Prairie Doc. Thank you for joining us this evening from South Dakota State University's campus. Tonight, we're discussing medical school. During our conversation, we'll explore several aspects of medical education, including admission, changes in medical education over time, pathways to degree, specialization, and professional opportunities that await beyond graduation. Joining us in the studio here in Brookings are Dr. Tim Ridgway, Vice President of Health Affairs and Dean of the Sanford School of Medicine at the University of South Dakota, and Dr. Nancy Van Persum, Clinical Associate Professor at the Sanford School of Medicine and Farm Physician Coordinator for the Millbank Farm Site. Doctors, welcome. Thank you so much. Great being here, Dennis. So Dr. Ridgway, let's begin with you and just please tell us a little bit about yourself and how long you've been at the University of South Dakota. Well, I have quite the journey and I'm gonna keep it very short, but the bottom line is I came from a very small town in South Dakota and I thought I wanted to be a physician, but quite honestly, I didn't know if that was ever gonna be a reality. I went to Augustana College in my undergraduate years and uh, I was fortunate to be admitted to the University of South Dakota. From there, I was able to do a residency and fellowship at the Mayo Clinic, uh, where I did a gastroenterology fellowship. I've been back in South Dakota since 1991. Um, I have served the School of Medicine since that time in a variety of capacities. Uh, and I think, Dennis, the, the key thing I wanna say, the reason I'm doing what I'm doing now is because this university, this medical school gave me an opportunity. I wanna make sure every citizen of South Dakota, anyone with South Dakota ties has that same opportunity. Thank you. And Dr. Van Persum, um, how about your story? A little bit of your background and uh, you practice in the Millbank area. How long have yes. you been there? I've been in Millbank for 13 years, so that's fantastic. Um, yes, um, I have a very similar story to Dr. Ridgeway's. I grew up in a small town in Colton, South Dakota, mm -hmm. and always wanted to go to medical school. Um, so I also went to Augie, sorry, SDSU. <laughs> <laughs> we'll forgive you. <laughs> and um, had great professors then and great people that mentored me. And I went to the USD Medical School um, stayed in South Dakota, did residency in Sioux Falls with the Center for Family Medicine, and then I actually went to Sisseton for eight years, and now I'm in Millbank, which 
is fantastic. Well, that's great. Yes. And uh, so certainly we're all passionate about education, so I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Um, so let's dive right into our topic, really, this evening. Um, and maybe I'll start with you, Dr. Ridgeway. Uh, a common general question uh, that we often receive here on campus is uh, simply, what are medical schools seeking in applicants? Medical schools are seeking, certainly you have to have a level of intelligence, but you don't have to be a genius. Medical schools are looking for individuals that yes, they, they have intelligence, that they're able to diagnose and treat individuals and pass their licensing exams. But beyond that, we want compassionate, kind human beings. People that are gonna be entrusted to teach to, to educate, but more importantly, to treat the citizens of their community. That's, that's a tall order, and so we want that well-rounded individual, that person that has resilience, that has grit, that wants this, and that wants to make a difference in the lives of the patients they're gonna serve. Mm -hmm. And Dr. Van Persum, I, I, I would imagine those are exactly the colleagues you're looking for, right? Absolutely. Um, Dr. Ridgeray mentioned resilience, and it's, it's a difficult job that we have, and we need that resilience, but you need the intelligence, but you also need the energy. Um, healthcare is struggling, as we know nowadays, and we need people that can toe the line, so to speak. And I think a misconception is that I have to be a genius to go to medical school. It couldn't be farther from the truth. Um, we need people that want this, and that are resilient because there's challenges. There's challenges in medical school, there's challenges in your practice of medicine. Mm -hmm. But if you have that resilience, that ability to bounce back from hard times, those are the people that are the effective practitioners. Yeah, absolutely, to have resilience and grit and, and those kinds of things. But uh, we do often get asked though, how, how often uh, or how competitive is it? Um, what you know, application percentages and acceptance rates look like? So maybe just a few words about that as well. It, it is competitive. Um, now, in South Dakota, at the university, um, we are a public university, and the state legislature, we became a four-year medical school in 1977, and basically, they said your charge is to give every individual from South Dakota an opportunity to get a medical education. And in addition, to make certain you provide high-quality healthcare workforce through all areas of South Dakota. So our admissions process is a little different than perhaps other schools, although more are going our direction. We want to meet that mission. So we say to get into the University of South Dakota, or to be considered for an interview, you have to have a residence in South Dakota or have close ties to South Dakota. Perhaps your parents are still in South Dakota even though you're elsewhere. If you're attending a college or university in South Dakota, that gives you an opportunity. So we will receive approximately a thousand applications per year, but out of that thousand, after we cut the ties and we look at the South Dakota ties, we'll get around 250 applications, sometimes more and less, that, that we consider for interviews. We accept 69 MD students each year to follow our MD PhD track. Mm -hmm. So yes, it is competitive and it puts the pressure on us, right? We want to get it right. Mm -hmm. That's a hard thing to do. Absolutely. And um, so in terms of really looking, it sounds like you take a very comprehensive look. Um, is there anything more important um, than other things when you go through that, uh, through that admissions process that you would say? 
everybody um, puts a lot of emphasis on the MCAT, the Medical College Admissions Test, which is a standardized exam. But we're really looking at this. What that predicts for us is basically, can this individual pass their licensing examination when they go through medical school? And at one time, the MCAT was considered the golden standard of who would get accepted. We have learned there is so much more. Mm -hmm. We want to see that well-rounded individual. Do they have interpersonal skills? Do they have the resilience we talked about? Uh, what is their background? Does that predict how they're going to go through medical school? And so we're trying to take what we call a holistic approach. Look at this entire individual and say, do they have all of these components that would allow them to succeed and become a Nancy Van Persum who's so successful in Millbank, South Dakota? Mm -hmm. And Dr. Van Persum, um, if you were giving advice to uh, uh, you know, individuals interested in making application to medical school, and um, if if you were to say, okay, these are these would be some 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 errors or pitfalls, perhaps, to try to avoid, um, what would be the type of advice that you would give uh, to keep them from maybe you know taking that stumble in terms of of any potential pitfall out there? Well, there's lots of pitfalls in the medical education process. It's, it's a tough journey. Um, so some of the pitfalls, I think, would be to tell the students, even in undergrad, enjoy what you're doing. Try to, try to get the stress out of your life and just try to enjoy what you're learning. Um, don't worry about what your grade is, which that's easy for me to say now, but just to tell those students, enjoy what you're learning and, and have compassion for people. Um, talking with them about, try to learn things in the medical field. So in college, do some EMT work or do some CNA work at the nursing homes so they really know what it's like to be with patients. Mm -hmm and to give that compassionate care. And you talk about you know really getting to know exactly what it's like and shadowing mm -hmm. and doing those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. Maybe just a word or two mm -hmm. about the importance and the value of, of that, yes. um, of shadowing and such. So it's important when you are an undergraduate to really understand what you're getting into. I think Dr. Ridgway and I probably both had farming backgrounds right. and I was the first person in my family to get a medical education, and it was foreign to my family. Mm -hmm. um, so in college, I did quite a bit of shadowing with family medicine doctors. And at that point in the 1970s and 1980s, patients didn't necessarily have a family doctor they went to. They went, we went to Del Rapids then, and whoever was open is who mm -hmm. we went to. and. Having a family physician that you know and love, we just knew them all in Dells, and they were part of the family, which mm -hmm. was which was great. Mm -hmm. So teaching those students in an undergraduate level, we want you to understand what you're going into. So do some shadowing. Take some time and spend time in the hospitals of your community or the nursing homes of your community or the pharmacies mm -hmm. of your community and look at what medicine is all about. Students sometimes will tell us, I love science and I like people. Mm -hmm. So they think medicine. But every now and then when they get these experiences, they'll say, well, wait a minute. Maybe this isn't for me. But there'll be some other area that will speak 
to their interest in science and their interest in people that's not medicine. And so our admissions process does look at that. We, we look at what experiences have you had that can tell us, yeah, you know what you're getting into and this is where you belong. Mm -hmm. Maybe just another quick question about the admissions process, and uh, because um, you know, again, as you know, um, you know, working on a college campus, hear a lot of, of of students talk about grades, and and sometimes that transition into college can be quite difficult. Um, so sometimes maybe the first semester might be a little rougher than what we had anticipated. So maybe just a word about uh, uh, about grades. Um, certainly they're important, but at the same time, if somebody maybe gets off to a slow start, doesn't have their GPA exactly where they would like it to be, um, is, is it a deal breaker, if that, you will? That is a, a very good point to make and, and maybe perhaps break a myth. Yes, you know, we have to look at that in admissions, right? Um, I started college, I didn't know how to study. I did not know how to study. And so you might have a stumbling block and you think, oh my God, my path is ruined. Mm -hmm. No. Um, we look as you progress how that looks on the grade. And then, of course, that college admissions test, which is important. But as I said, that is one aspect of medical school. It's important. And we look at that for one reason. We, if we accept you into medical school, we want to make sure that you have what it takes to pass those licensing examinations. Mm -hmm. And so the GPA and the MCAT give us a glimpse. But that's where the interview comes in. I think uh, you know, a student has a bad transcript that first semester. And if you can have a direct interview and you say, why? What happened? And let them explain that. Uh, you don't want to turn away a very good student because that happens. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the admissions process for prospective medical students can be daunting. Navigating that challenge can be a smoother ride, according to admissions expert, by following a few simple tips. Pasquale Menzira is an assistant dean at the USD Sanford School of Medicine and he tells potential medical students to start early on their resumes and not just have test scores. I always uh, advise applicants to start early, even keep a journal, uh, starting in their freshman year of all their experiences. They're broken down into, you know, um, work, medical, work, non-medical, volunteer medical, volunteer non-medical. Uh, it could be hobbies, it could be, um, leadership, so there's a lot, number of those things. He says this because he wants to see well-rounded applicants that are kind and good communicators. I think when you ask a patient, what do they love about their doctor? It's not so much, oh, he or she had a 520 MCAT score, very high MCAT score, is they were very kind, they were compassionate, uh, empathetic, they took the time to listen to me and not talk down to me, you know, or talk with me. Manzera also says to pay attention to the school's mission statement. For example, the medical school's mission statement is to provide primary care to rural areas. At the Association of American Medical Colleges, who keeps track of this, last year we were 99th percentile for schools that have graduated physicians that practice in rural areas. USD's medical school gets 800 to 1,200 applications a year while only accepting 71. However, Manzara says they deny a majority as they focus on students in or around South Dakota. I think on average each year we're about 80% of our matriculants, and so that's what we call students that get into a medical school, uh, are South Dakota residents. The other 20% for the most part have strong ties. Manzara cares and wants South Dakota students to get into a medical school. Hopefully it's our medical school, but we only have 71 positions. 
I feel like there's at least 120, you know, each year that are probably capable of succeeding in med school, but we're limited in who we can let in. And he says the students who didn't get into a medical school to try again and improve their resume so they're ready for next year. We've had applicants on their second, third, and fourth try even that have gotten into med school. That demonstrates um, motivation sometimes, right? They really want to get in. They keep improving. They keep, uh, you know, uh, taking advantage of, say, opportunities to improve their application. Dr. Ridgeway, just maybe another question here um, on admissions, the admissions process. So sometimes students aren't successful the first time. Uh, maybe some tips or some advice that you might give them um, in terms of staying determined and making a reapplication to medical school. My, my advice is if this is something you really want, then definitely you apply again. And what you want to do is demonstrate to that admissions committee why you're so committed. So you seek out other opportunities. We had a student that was denied the first year, he went out and got full EMT certification. Mm -hmm. This student was like, I want to do this and I'm going to go and do EMT work. And, and he said it was extremely difficult and very rewarding. And he got in on the second try. The admissions committee saw this person was determined and uh, showed he had what it took and he learned from the experience. Sometimes when we're faced with challenges, it's how we react to those challenges that really defines who you are. And admissions committees can sometimes see that. So if you're reapplying, think about what, how can I show these people that this is me, this is who I am, I want this, and I will be very successful. So don't just say, well, I'm taking a year off and I'm gonna study the MCAT again mm -hmm. and that's gonna be it. Get in there, dig in, do something valuable to learn more about yourself, and that also makes you more desirable as an applicant. Dr. Manzera referenced the second, third candidates to try it. I will tell you, um, I just talked with a student the other day, unbelievable, she is so successful, and she said, Dr. Ridgeway, I got in on my fourth attempt. And I, I just smiled and said, mm -hmm. and you are gonna be phenomenal. Mm -hmm. so, so it doesn't matter if you didn't succeed the first time, don't have a chip on your shoulder, come back and get it, and if you really want it, you're gonna be very successful. We've certainly had students um, from the Millbank High School that um, ha are in college and they have tried to get into medical school. They don't get in the first year. They feel so defeated yes. and they come to us and they ask us our advice. What should we do next, next year to try to get in? Um, often they've done the same thing. We've had some kids do EMT work. We've had kids do CNA, work at the hospital, work at the nursing homes, and they get more experience in healthcare. They truly get more compassion about compassionate about what they want to do. Mm -hmm. They've decided they truly, really do want to go to medical school. When they get in, they when, take advantage right, of it, right? right. They, they are going to soak right. up every minute of it. Yeah. They wanted it so bad. Yeah. Very good. Um, let's shift gears just a little bit. Um, we've been talking about the admissions process, but uh, once you're admitted, uh, there's a pathway there, right? Uh, so, so the curriculum, the studying, and, and everything. So let's talk a little bit about that. Um, and maybe just to begin, um, if you could, in general terms, uh, Dr. Ridgway, uh, 
What does that curriculum fundamentally look like? How much time in the classroom? How much time out in the field? How much time uh, doing uh, hands-on learning and, and those kinds of things? Um, please tell us a little bit about that. Thank you, and that, that has evolved um, over the years because it, back when Dr. Van Persum and I went to medical school, it was the first two years you were in the classroom. I mean, studying grades similar to college, that's changed now. Um, we tried something called active learning where um, there's less I stand up and lecture and you take notes and take a test. It's more patient-centered, subject-centered type things where you get small groups and discuss. In our school, we have three pillars instead of four years. Mm -hmm. The first pillar is where students get that basic biomedical science knowledge. So they do some general foundational stuff and then the eight disciplines, cardiovascular for example, and then they learn anatomy, physiology, uh, pathology, pharmacology, microbiology on that system, and then they move on. And that's the first 18 months. In addition, we get patients being seen by these students year one. That's new, and that's a real advantage of our school. They're getting learning how to take interviews with patients. They're learning how to interact with patients that early. Mm -hmm. Then we have pillar two, and that's where they have their first clinical experiences. Um, we put our students in three campuses. That is Sioux Falls, Rapid City, and Yankton. But then we have our farm program, where students go right now eight sites, 13 students, will go to a town like Millbank, South Dakota, where somebody like Dr. Van Persum oversees their 10 months of clinical training. They follow up in the end in pillar three, 16 months, and that's where they have to do what we call sub-internships, preparing them for residency, more autonomy. They have to do a required capstone rural family medicine experience for a month, and then they can do electives. They can pursue things that they, the discipline they want to go into, and they prepare for their applications for residency. Mm -hmm. And that's probably changed since you've went to medical school, I would imagine, right? It has changed. We did, um, it changed a little bit while I was in medical school, even. It started evolving. Um, there were great people like Kathy Logue, the Kathy Logues in our life at the medical school that she got us in and we saw patients, even our first year yes. in Yankton. We, we did see patients right away. Um, but yes, it's very different than it was when I went. We did this block, you're, this month you're doing surgery. This month you are doing peds. This month you're doing OBGYN. And I think it's so much better learning with, okay, you're gonna learn the cardiovascular system now, and we're gonna do all of that together. And putting a patient there at the end, just, it, it really mm -hmm. helps with learning. Mm -hmm. and kids do better. They do, they do. And one of the hardest transitions that we try to tell students, it's not about the grade anymore. Now that's hard, right? We spent our whole life. <laughs> We're programmed for that, We're right? programmed, We're programmed for, for grades. And this is about, you're gonna be taking care of a human being. So it, don't go for the extra points, go for the extra learning because you may see a patient come in one day with this type of disorder, you'd better know it. And so we really try to get that mind shift toward it's not about the grade, it's about learning how to care for people and having the competence to do that. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm really fascinated. You know, the, the, the caring for people, the human touch, 
um, if you will, um, associated with medical care. But at the same time, there's more and more technology finding its way um, into our worlds overall, but certainly into, into the medical world. Um, so how has technology, the utilization of technology, changed the way we educate physicians? You want to take that? Do it's changed everything. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I was actually thinking about that on my drive here, how even just the medical record has changed. We were writing, at, some of our um, rotations were at the VA in Sioux Falls. I remember writing long notes on patients that were very complicated. Now we have the electronic medical record, which usually helps us. Um, it truly does. I would not want to go back to paper, but it tells me all of their past medical history. It tells me what medications they're on. So it's that, just that alone has changed. Mm -hmm. Another example that I actually used this morning, um, I, I did a small procedure where I really could have used a piece of equipment. And I called my friend, one of the OB-GYNs in Sioux Falls, and she said, Nancy, you need an endo-C, which I hadn't even heard of that, but it's a little tiny microscope on the end of a large, well, it would be something we'd use in female medicine. Uh -huh. Let's say that. Uh -huh. um, and just that technology that I could just see directly where I need to see, mm -hmm. everything, everything has changed. A just, lot is different. Just amazing. And, and yes. simulation, for example, would yes. be another area that's and, really exploding. Simulation. You know, it used yes. to be we learned everything with a patient. And so you're a patient and you've got a jittery third year yep. medical student, mm -hmm. you know, a little uneasy. But now we have incredible simulation machines that will mimic a real life experience. But guess what? The patient doesn't suffer, right? And so they get that learning and that feedback. Mm -hmm. The technology is astounding. We've got point of care ultrasounds, little ultrasound mm -hmm. machines where you can come in, Dr. Van Persen can, and they see somebody with acute abdominal pain and she can put an ultrasound over there and see if there's fluid, see if something's occurring. The challenge, the challenge is harnessing that. Learning. And not missing the fact mm -hmm. of that human connection. Yeah. We could order scans top to bottom, but if you don't have those skills of really learning what the patient's telling you and being able to do that physical exam to know how to direct it, so the, the technology's phenomenal, but what we're trying to do is teach how to use it properly, but don't forget that you have a human being you're caring for, and the EMR. You know, how many of our listeners uh, have had their physicians over here typing, hey, doctor, I'm over here. Yeah. And so we're trying, you know, we're trying to figure that out so that that connection can still be maintained. Yeah, and and, and you know, to do um, those kinds of things and and to really um, you know deliver that early in the curriculum, right, to where you you, you start reinforcing oh, that yes. very very Year early one. on. Year one, um, they learn physical diagnosis skills. They're learning how to use these ultrasound machines. Yes. Yeah, yeah we've talked about giving these 
these kids an ultrasound probe that plugs into their phone instead of a stethoscope. Mm -hmm. yes. um, so it's fantastic. Yes. Yeah, that's tremendous. Uh, another um, aspect of, uh, of change, I think, in this area uh, that uh, even on our campus here with our health programs, interprofessional education yes. has become um, a, a main factor. So maybe just a word or two about interprofessional education and the importance um, of interprofessional education based upon the way that we like to see medicine practice. Back in the old days, the physician came into the room and everybody took orders from the physician. Well, knowledge and technologies has exploded. No one person can know everything. And so how can we best deliver high quality care to patients? It's utilizing a team. The team of the physician, the physician assistant, the nurse practitioner, the pharmacist, the social worker. All of these people have an integral role in the care of the patient, occupational therapy and physical therapy. So what we're doing in medical education is we're starting to put the MD student with the PA student, with the pharmacy. Just today in our simulation center, SDSU had their pharmacy students there and nurses working with our uh, internal medicine residents, learning how to interact. You want to give a medication, the pharmacist is there and they can help you with the dosing, they can make certain that's proper. And so we're simulating these events to try to mimic that healthcare team and that is going to deliver care. And what they learn is they can learn to be dependent on each other, to work together. That's going to lead to better healthcare outcomes. And I would add, it adds so much to the patient's perception. We could say, you, I talk to the patient and I want you to take these five medications. Well, if we take time and the nurse visits with them about how to take it, the pharmacist tells them what the side effects are and getting them a pill minder, something simple like that and teaching, teaching patients, mm -hmm. home health nurses going to their homes and actually making sure they're taking their medication. All of those things are integral to taking care of the patient. The other thing I wanna to add to that is e-emergency, that I can have a colleague from the Avera emergency room look at my patient with me, has changed rural medicine. I was so nervous at one point in my career with trauma with patients that would come in that were critically ill. Now I have a friendly face on that camera that is gonna help me, that has my back. Absolutely. And that is a way we can get yes. more practitioners in rural mm -hmm. areas because they, they felt like, oh my gosh, it's all me and I'm not qualified for this. But when you have that backup, mm -hmm. I think more doctors are gonna wanna go to these rural areas because they know they have that backup and that means everything. And of course, rural medicine in the state of South Dakota, critically important critically. and a unique opportunity available in medical students at the University of South Dakota is the Frontier and Rural Medicine Program, or FARM. Here is more on that program and its unique features. The Frontier and Rural Medicine, or FARM, program at the USD Sanford School of Medicine is a program to prepare medical students to work in rural areas, and Susan Anderson is the director of FARM. The Frontier and Rural Medicine program, or FARM as we like to call it, is a unique experience for a select group of medical students to live and work and train 
in a rural community in South Dakota for 10 months of their medical education. Farm's first class was 2016, and they started with only three rural communities with six students. Farm then saw how impactful this program was to rural communities. Over time, the number of sites has grown and the number of students involved has grown. So with the class of 2026, there will be eight communities involved and 13 students. Students are introduced to the farm program their first year and can apply. Anderson says they are selected a year in advance before heading to a farm site. And for Maria Kunin, who was selected and worked in Parkston, South Dakota last year, that experience was invaluable to her. And for me, it meant that I got to experience rural medicine from inside it. I got to see everything as it is, and I got to learn from rural providers who have been living the rural medicine life for a long time. Anderson says farm helps the students acquire many skills with the benefit of helping many patients in rural communities. We want them to get a, a broad breadth of experience and we hope that that adequately uh, prepares them uh, to thrive when they go on to residency. The doctors get to know you so well that they trust you to do things that you would never get to do at a big site. Um, the, the medical experience is unmatched as a medical student. During her time in Parkston, Coonan won the Outstanding Community Project Award, which is sponsored by the South Dakota American Family of Physicians for her community involvement in educating about concussions. And I just had a lot of fun with it, and it was a wonderful way to get involved in the community, and I ended up winning an award for it, which was really nice. It's special for the student, and we want to recognize that um, they put time and effort to, you know, not only benefit their education, but also benefit the local community that has hosted them. They both say the farm program is a benefit to rural communities, as well as keeping those medical students in South Dakota. Ultimately, the goal is that they're going to appreciate the rewards and the challenges of practicing in a rural community, and maybe someday consider coming back and practicing there. Um, for themselves. I'm actually very actively interested in returning to that area to work as a general surgeon someday and I'm forever grateful that I got chosen to be a farm student and I'm thankful for what Parkson and the farm program did for me. Dr. Van Persum, so that was a great clip. Uh, tell me a little more about why working in a rural community is so beneficial to a student's medical education. Well, I have selfish reasons, of course, <laughs> of course, to love the farm program because number one, it helps us recruit. Um, it helps because I'm getting old, and <laughs> we need we need physicians that will come back to our small communities. Um, and it's an amazing experience. So they come for 10 months to our small community, and when they first come, they're not used to being with patients. They're not used to that interaction. And by the time they're finished, they go in the room on their own. They're doing things that they would do as first-year residents. So they're suturing, they're helping me in surgery, they're helping deliver babies, um, and it's just fantastic. It also really benefits our community. Our community yeah. members truly 
get to meet them. Um, most of the all of the students, really, we require them to work in our high school with our health, occupation, and career classes. Mm -hmm. um, so they're teaching the high school students how to suture. And those high school students love that interaction with a medical student that's young yeah. and loves to study. Um, we like to call ourselves nerds, <laughs> and, and those medical students are nerds, and the high school kids don't always get to see other nerdy people, and it's just fun to see that interaction with them as well. The mm -hmm. farm students, they come to our basketball games, they go to football games, they, they're with us on the sideline because we like to cover the football games in case there's injury. Um, they're in the ER, so our community truly gets to know them as well. Mm -hmm. Our community is used to, we are a teaching facility, you're gonna have a student, mm -hmm. um, and they love it. Yeah. They engage in the community they do. full. And every year, um, our graduating students have to do a survey, and every graduating medical student in the country does this survey. Our school last year was in the top 10 schools of over 155 accredited medical schools that had the opportunity and experience to go into the high schools and the middle schools to do the kinds of things Dr. Van Persum talked about. They're our future, they're our pipeline, and when they have a chance to, to see these young medical students, it, it, that I think is as sure a thing as we have to make sure that we are gonna have that pipeline of future practitioners are gonna take care of you and me. Mm -hmm. yeah. Exactly, and and finding that passion again in our in our communities. Um, maybe a word about that. I, right now, um, there are medically underserved communities. Um, so programs like Farm, probably other programs. I, you know, where 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 do we have the greatest challenges or the greatest needs for for doctors, and what types of doctors do we uh, do we need most? I, I talked to our pre-med students before our program tonight and I, I talked to them about this and Dr. Van Persen was right in step. Um, we have a, a lot of problems with access to health care. In South Dakota, in our rural areas, on our reservations, um, there needs to be better access to care. And so we have to find creative ways to do it. Number one, yes, we want to get these students when they graduate to come back and give back to their communities. Telehealth, telemedicine, where maybe we can't have a psychiatrist in Mobridge, South Dakota, but perhaps a psychiatrist can be accessed through telemedicine where those services can be delivered. I really feel that that's the challenge and that's the mandate given to our school by the state legislature. We need to ensure that that access is there for all these communities and things like the farm program. Mm -hmm. um, we have care of the underserved electives in our medical school. Uh, all of these kind of things we hope are gonna make a difference. It's gonna take time, but I really feel we're going in the right direction. Mm -hmm. So let's um, kind of yet, um, maybe, maybe explore one more thing here, just real quick. In, um, for students, um, a question uh, would be, juggling the pressures, um, a number of things uh, that really are going on, maintaining a balance, uh, that's very important. Uh, so maybe a word, Dr. Van Persum, about yes. maintaining balance yes. when someone yes. is trying to juggle the rigors of medical school yes. and at the same time um, being an active, engaged family member and taking care of themselves, right. very importantly. 
I'm not sure that our generation did that correctly. We did not. <laughs> I can say um, it. But I think the new, I see it in the new generation, and they're putting their families first. Um, how do how do how do we help them do that is the challenge because coming to a rural facility you get pulled in lots of mm -hmm. directions um, I get to go to the nursing homes I get to help with EMS things I also like to play piano and I want to play at church so when you're in a small town you get pulled in all of those directions so that's the same with medical students. They're pulled in so many directions and how to channel that energy. And But we need to teach them resilience. But I also, as Dr. Ridgway said, we talked to the students before this. I told them, try to enjoy your time. Try to enjoy some of this. I wish I would have recorded some of the lectures instead of taking so many notes. Mm -hmm. um, but I do think it's very important for us to teach these kids exercise, eat healthy, and figure out how you compensate for things. How do you center and how do you balance it all. Mm -hmm. And so us old wise people need to teach the young people how to do that, but it's it's difficult. And I'm not saying I've done it right in my life mm -hmm. at all times, although I'm getting better at it. <laughs> if we're going to take care of others, we need to learn how to take care of ourselves. Mm -hmm. But it's a balance. Medical school is challenging. Being a, fa a family physician is challenging. Being a physician is challenging. But we cannot lose ourselves in the process. Our medical school has a chief well-being officer, mm -hmm. a family physician, mm -hmm. who helps to work with these students to, to demonstrate, yes, you have to meet the rigor and the challenges, but don't give up your entire self for that, and here's ways that you can do it. And I think having people like Dr. Van Persen, where these students can see a living example, they will listen to her because she's got credibility. She's living it, and she's facing those challenges. Mm -hmm. That's gonna be the trick. Yeah, and those are great reminders for all of us. Yeah. Right? For all of us. For no all matter us. what we're doing, correct? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. No, matter what to, no matter what our jobs are. Really. Even though the Girl Scout cookies taste really good. Especially <laughs> the Thin Mints, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 Especially when you've been up 14 hours and you're tired. <laughs> I, I'm, with you. I'm with you on that. Um, the learning journey doesn't end ever. Um, certainly doesn't end when you complete medical school. Um, residencies, fellowships, uh, maybe just a, a couple of words about residencies, fellowships, specializations. Um, tell us a little bit more about that, um, maybe even a little bit more about how you decided on your path, uh, but a little bit more about after, quote unquote, graduating with your MD, what other um, educational opportunities lie out there? So after you get your MD, the world is your oyster. Um, you really can go into anything, although Dr. Ridgway may argue with me, it may be hard to get into some residencies. However, um, I went to family medicine. It's a great place to be because you can truly 
concentrate on what you like. You can do OB if you would like to. And that was what I really chose when I was in residency, was I want to do OB. So I spent some time in Parkston, I spent time in Sisseton, and I decided I really want to do this. I want to be in a small town. So then my third year of residency, I really, um, a couple of the doctors in Sioux Falls kind of took me under their wing and said, okay, and Dr. Ridgway was one of them and said, we're gonna teach you this so that you can go there and do a good job. Because people that are elderly or people that are busy and have families don't wanna drive four hours to go to Sioux Falls for those services. So these guys were great instructors for me and took me under their wings. So residency is an amazing opportunity. After four years of medical school, you get your MD you cannot practice medicine yet. You have to do at minimum another three years of a residency, perhaps in family medicine or primary care. Then if you specialize, it's another two to three years. So you can go post MD six, seven, 10 years before you're actually out practicing medicine. And then the learning still doesn't stop. Mm -hmm. It's lifelong. Mm -hmm. If I relied on what I was trained to do 30 years ago, I bet I used 30% of that the things keep changing and you have to keep up. But frankly, Dennis, that's one of the fun things, right? Mm -hmm. That constant challenge, that constant learning, mm -hmm. it's, it's invigorating. Yeah, so, so what do you do for continuing education? We talked about technology, uh, the explosion of medical information. Uh, and that's fantastic. I, I mean, that's really helped with, I feel like, I love to listen to podcasts when I'm traveling um, places and, just learning different things, but there's lots of different ways um, you can do education. Some of us in our class that we graduated with, we go to Montana every year and we go to a family medicine conference and we take our families and our kids have learned, okay, we're going to Big Sky, um, mom's gonna learn and then maybe mm -hmm. she'll ski and break a leg. <laughs> 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 but it's, it's developed this, not only this relationship, but we've had some great medical education over the years. Um, the South Dakota has a great, twice a year there's great education that they do where a lot of the physicians in South Dakota get together and then you get that camaraderie mm -hmm. um, so we see each other mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. And maintaining... So there's lots of ways. Lots of opportunities. Lots of opportunities. Lots of opportunities to do that. Yeah, um, I think um, you know a question I would have for you would be just as you've, as you've gone through practice um, and if you were to look back, and if you were to say, I, wanted, I would like to give myself maybe one nugget of advice, what would those nuggets be? Um, I, I'm, I'm interested in hearing from both of you. My nugget would be, don't lose yourself in the, in the journey. As Dr. Van Persum said, yeah, it's tough, it's challenging, but don't lose yourself. I thought that I had to give up all of my interests and focus medicine, medicine, medicine. And while I was successful, I look back, I love music. I love music and I gave it up. And uh, that's the one thing, if I had to go back, I would keep playing. Uh, couldn't do it as much, but I could still do it. You can't do everything you used to do, but, but keep those interests, keep yourself healthy and whole and things that really give you that balance to say, 
you know what, I'm really stressed out today, I'm gonna go do this because this is what I enjoy doing. That's what I would do differently. And maybe a quick item from you. I agree, I think not getting so stressed in, in the moments and just try to enjoy it. Um, Dr. Kemp gave me great advice at the end of residency. He said, Nancy, when the world seems like it's falling apart, just be with the patient that's right in front of you. Be with them yeah. and all will be well. That's amazing yeah. advice. It's wonderful. Yes. Absolutely. And we'll be back after this. Miss an episode or looking for a specific topic? Head to our YouTube channel or website, prairiedoc.org, today to access all on-call with the Prairie Doc episodes. And make sure to join us most Thursdays on SDPB and Facebook for new shows. It has been nine years since my medical school acceptance. I can finally describe my personal process in two words, arduous and lengthy. Now, this may not be the case for all people that apply to medical school. There are a few individuals that may be able to apply directly out of undergrad and be accepted. I'll speak from my personal experience, which had a few more detours involved. I am the first person in my family to become a physician. This added unique challenges while applying to medical school. I essentially had to blaze my own trail. The journey starts during undergraduate education. Many students major in the sciences and take the courses to build a strong foundation for the coming years. Regardless of major, your GPA plays a role in acceptance to medical school. Surround yourself with like-minded individuals that will help you succeed in your goal. The application and acceptance process is a dynamic one. The initial hurdle is the MCAT, or the Medical College Acceptance Test. After my first MCAT, I realized I needed a structured approach and direction to succeed. I highly recommend an in-person class or an online study group that offers insight into test-taking strategies and practice exams. These resources will be worth the investment. My score drastically improved and I made my application so much more competitive. Unfortunately, the number of medical school applicants is staggering in comparison to the limited number of seats available. This is where building and personalizing your application comes into play. Inquire with admissions committees on how to bolster yourself on paper. Many highly recommend experiences in patient care. These can come in the form of volunteerism or employment at local hospitals or nursing homes. Some individuals do research, shadow physicians, become scribes, or work in other skill-building jobs in the field. I decided to work at a local hospital providing direct patient care. Through this, I gained the experience I needed to stand out. The patients you meet along the way will teach you more than you realize. I also furthered my education with a master's degree focusing on human anatomy and physiology. This gave me the opportunity to teach undergrad students and gain even more foundational knowledge. The perseverance and experiences paid off. I was accepted to Ross University School of Medicine in 2014, spent two years in Chicago, graduated with highest honors, and was matched into my first choice residency program for family medicine. I graduated in June 2021. While there's no wrong way to go about getting into medical school, there are more efficient routes. 
have a mentor, utilize appropriate resources, stay focused and on track. Thank you to our guests, Dr. Tim Ridgway and Dr. Nancy Van Persom. We appreciate you volunteering your time to be with us and helping us better understand the education journey to becoming a doctor. If you would like to see and hear more episodes of this program, please like and follow us on Facebook and YouTube or vis visit us at prairiedoc.org. Also, be sure to look for Prairie Doc Perspectives in your local newspaper and online, and look for the podcast of this program, Prairie Doc On Call, wherever you get your podcasts. From all of us here at On Call with the Prairie Doc, thank you for joining us for another episode of health information based on science and built on trust. Until next time, stay healthy out there. swelling, injury, and foot stiffness can all lead to a limited range of motion. And when your foot hurts, it can be difficult or painful to even walk. Foot and ankle orthopedics, next time on Call with the Prairie Doc. Mom, can you believe we are already entering the 21st season of On Call with the Prairie Doc? It's amazing. Last year was so fun celebrating our 20th season. It was great to see the old shows and to just highlight the honest science and trust that our program is built on and that dad started so long ago. Yeah, and to see how it's grown, you know, to see it, it's not just a television program that you can find on Thursday nights at seven o'clock, but it's something that you can check out on uh, one of your favorite podcast networks or YouTube. Share these videos to your friends and family on Facebook. There's a lot of ways that Prairie Doc is making an impact. Uh, we know it wouldn't be possible if it wasn't for you, our viewers, and for our corporate sponsors and our, our private sponsors. We are completely privately funded foundation. So your contributions make a difference. And did you know that a couple of years ago, the South Dakota Department of Health asked us to do some special programming that they felt was important for the whole state to know. We felt really honored that they would ask us to be a part of that. So you, you donors, you helped in providing good education for the state. You know, as a nurse, uh, one of my primary responsibilities is to advocate for my patients. And this program really allows our prairie docs as well as the volunteer doctors to advocate for public health across our state and into the surrounding states as well which makes it particularly nice when a patient will come up to me and tell me that they really enjoy the program or my parents watch your show every week yeah i hear that a lot and it really is humbling and gratifying yeah and and i'm excited and humbled uh, to be joining the Healing Words Foundation Board as we work to make an impact on the lives of our supporters and to further that mission. If you would like to help us with this important work, we hope that you'll talk to your friends, you'll share our program on your social media page. And if you want to make a financial gift, please give directly at prairiedoc.org or mail your gift to the P.O. Box 752 Brookings, South Dakota 57006. Thank, Thank you, you for, for your, your support. support.
All right, Mom. You ready to go for a little walk? You bet. Let's get, those, get those steps. <laughs> <laughs> Major funding for On Call with the Prairie Doc has been provided by. At Avera, our nationally recognized health system will be right here with you, with care and coverage. Hello, possibility. Hello, healthy. Larson Manufacturing is proud to support On Call with the Prairie Doc as it continues to open doors for important medical information. And with the ongoing support of these individuals and institutions, Brookings Health System, Ophthalmology Limited, South Dakota Academy of Family Physicians, Avera Heart Hospital, First Bank and Trust, Dakota Allergy and Asthma, Vance Thompson Vision, Monument Health, Black Hills Medical Society, Brookings Madison Flandreau District Medical Society, Peer District Medical Society, Sioux Falls District Medical Society, Yankton District Medical Society, Orthopedic Institute, Lake Ponset Sailing Academy, Aberdeen Asthma and Allergy, Dakota Bank, South Dakota American College of Physicians, and Swiftel Communications.